right, let's go to numbers 31. Uh, if I'm counting right, we actually have just three more studies left. Uh, the original intent was not to um, do every single chapter or verse. And uh, we did do some steady kind of progression. But uh, I think the last one we concluded was the study of uh, Joshua as Moses's um, successor, right? Moses was going to be uh, retired, <laughs> if you will, and that um, he was not going to enter the promised land. And so God showed him the, what Canaan looked like, and then he uh, told Moses to appoint Joshua as the new leader, that once Moses died, Joshua would take the people into the promised land. But Moses doesn't die for at least, uh, you know, one book's length, like he dies at the end of Deuteronomy. So there's more to teach, there's more that Moses is involved with, but uh, I think you'll see in chapter 31 that, um, that as we read it, that um, it, the, the closing or the conclusion of Moses's, you know, long tenure, his career as the Israelite leader uh, is actually, you know, coming into the twilight, twilight years. So, um, let's, uh, I think it's a long chapter, so I think it's better if we read it on our own, so we can have it on the chat. Great. So let's spend some time, um, reading the passage to ourselves. Okay, um, not only is this a very long chapter, it's a very difficult chapter, right? Um, there is um, kind of death, there is punishment, there is rebuke, um, there is purification, atonement. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, here. And so um, I hope um, through our time together, we can try to uh, kind of understand it and uh, maybe not explain everything or feel like, wow, that was, uh, you know, kind of have a, a satisfactory resolution uh, to it. But I think um, these, these decisions, these actions, uh, these commands, uh, they all, you know, raise some troubling kind of questions, maybe related to ethics, uh, but they also illustrate, uh, you know, um, what I think it's designed to do, and that shows us kind of the, how terrible sin is, how, how much um, you know, pain and loss it can, it can truly cause, and, um, the holiness of God, right? How uh, pure and righteous and uh, just uh, God really is. And it's in trying to understand, right? This, how, how to reconcile these, not, not necessarily reconcile sin and justice, but how we handle sin and justice in order to 
um, survive in, in order to continue on in our walk with God. So uh, using that as kind of a, a somewhat of a, of a foreboding backdrop, let, let's kind of take, uh, take a look at some of the, the sections or uh, kind of um, principles or, or points that we can draw uh, from the passage. Um, so uh, this is vengeance or vindication against Midian, right? The Midianites, uh, the Midianites were one of the Can uh, Canaanite or adjacent to the Can land of Canaan, the peoples of the land who had um, actually uh, damaged or, or, or caused the Israelites to uh, sin against God, right? R remember, um, Back, all the way back to uh, Balak, right? And Balak was technically a Moabite, but the Moabites and the Midianites are, are kind of commingled. And so, um, you know, Balak wanted to curse the Israelites, but it spectacularly failed. Um, Balaam was this uh, kind of professional curser, uh, a prophet of, of types, a, a speaker but God didn't allow him to curse the Israelites. But uh, we learn uh, in, in previous chapters that even though the kind of spiritual cursing fell through, Balaam was able to give strategic advice on how to stumble the Israelites. And it was through um, idolatry, or let's say adultery and idolatry. The Israelites were led into sin by the Midianite women in uh, having uh, inappropriate uh, sexual relations. And then that led them to uh, worship of idols, right, which God forbade. Um, and so um, they dealt with it. Uh, in, 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 there was uh, 24,000 Israelites died at the time. Uh, and now uh, it's kind of the completion or the consummation of, the, of God's kind of punishment or wrath meted out against uh, the Midianites. So Moses, this is Moses's final assignment, final military assignment, right? He commands the Israelites after God commands Moses to, that they should go and wipe out uh, the Midianite people, and the Israelites do so, at least in part, right? Um, they go and they destroy all of the towns, and they kill all of the adult males, right? But they bring back a lot of plunder, and they bring back all the women and all the boys, okay? Um, first, let's talk about something positive, <laughs> And that is that, uh, notice that um, only 12,000 men, 12,000 soldiers, Israelite soldiers, uh, 1,000 from each of the 12 tribes were needed to accomplish their victory. So I think it was clearly a numerical disadvantage, but, you know, God was with them. This was, uh, they were doing something God wanted. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But they were on a mission from God and he gave them success so that they were able to destroy or, uh, you know, kill 
even in his harsher language, exterminate uh, all of the Midianite uh, adult men. And if you look, I think it's verse 40, uh, 49, you'll see that there was not a single Israelite casualty. Right? 12,000 men went to fight, 12,000 men fought, 12,000 men returned. So that, that clearly was the hand of God, right? God was being gracious. He empowered them. He was gracious to give them uh, victory. So it's clear, I think, what God's, uh, that God was behind them. God was with them and, and God had sent them uh, on mission. Right? But we run into problems because um, the, the, the soldiers, especially the, the army leaders, the officers, uh, they uh, do not... Uh, apparently carry out the commands uh, the way that God or Moses wanted, right? It says in verse 14, Moses was angry. Right? So something had gone awry. And what we learn is that um, the Israelite soldiers did not execute the women who caused the Israelites uh, to sin. Right? Uh, that was their uh, that was their their mission. That was their command. Right. This was uh, retribution for how they had uh, you know, infiltrated the Israelites and harmed them. And so God's uh, word was that uh, they should indeed right, punish uh, those who had caused. Uh, such uh, problems, right, uh, to leave the Israelites into sin. Um, and they didn't do that. Right? And so Moses has them, right, uh, he, he, capital punishment falls upon um, every woman. And, and uh, there's a distinction, right, every woman who has slept with a man, they are the ones who receive the penalty, uh, but those who have not, those who uh, have not, uh, women or have, have not slept with a man, they are allowed to live. And in fact, they become kind of absorbed or incorporated right, into the Israelite uh, people. Uh, moreover, uh, all of the boys, right, no matter what their age was, uh, were slain, right? Moses commanded that all the Midianite, all the males are already kind of dead, but now the boys themselves uh, are to be, uh, their, their life uh, is to be taken, right? So um, I think here we run into a number of questions, a number of like uh, difficulties right, with uh, the commands that are uh, given by God here. Right, the first one would be uh, uh, I mean, we could look at it from a uh, several angles, right? Like the, the larger angle would be 
um, you know, why does God demand uh, retribution slash punishment slash blood, right, for sin? Right? Why is it that um, the punishment uh, for God's enemies or the ones that, let's say, are liable or culpable for their sin, right? Why is the punishment uh, so harsh? That, that could be one form or one question uh, that we have, right? Going a little deeper, we might say, okay, uh, maybe uh, I could understand or maybe I could accept that uh, wages of sin is death, right? That's a New Testament. Uh, 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 verse, it's found in Romans, that, um, and, and there's, there's parallels in, in, in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel, the soul who sins will die, right, or Genesis, right, if you eat of this tree, if you disobey God, right, you will surely die, so I, I think to even our modern sensibilities, the concept of guilt and culpability and uh, kind of punishment slash penalty, right? I, I think, you know, even though it might be distasteful to some of us, uh, there is a sense of, okay, you reap what you sow. So if, you, if a sin is committed in contravention to what God says and the penalty or the punishment is 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 um, it's not necessarily fair, but it's clear, and it's known, and a person chooses uh, to break a commandment, to contravene a sin, uh, contravene a, a, a law, right? Then you kind of know what you're what you're getting, what you're facing, and so you know. Some people, I think quite a few people kind of understand the, uh, this kind of culpability, the cause and effect aspect of sin and punishment, even punishment unto death. Okay. But if we, like I was saying, if we delve deeper, we run into the problem of, well, what about the boys, right? Why, what... Uh, sin did they commit um, which warranted their execution as well? If they were, let's say, six years old and didn't know about warfare, they didn't know about idolatry, they weren't part of the strategy to stumble and, and lead the Israelites astray. Why were they uh, punished severely, right? Ultimate punishment for uh, what their elders did, for what the people did, right? When they didn't have any direct responsibility or liability for it. And that's, of course, a, a, you know, a question that you can raise at uh, quite a few places in the Bible, especially, you know, we won't get into the book of Joshua, right? But uh, Joshua is all about a military overthrow 
of the Canaanite tribes and peoples and, 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 and uh, city-states. And God says, you know, completely wipe out every man, woman, and child. Right? So we have to kind of figure out, well, I'd like us to try to figure out how to wrestle. We might not get the answer, but um, maybe it'll help us to think about uh, what is happening or why uh, God can, uh, through Moses, command this kind of severe punishment for arguably innocence. innocence. And then kind of another, another kind of uh, challenging interpretive question is uh, the women who were spared, right? Spared of, of capital punishment. Um, they are basically kind of prisoners of war, right? And uh, I think the implication is that they uh, are uh, they they are counted like the other kind of items of like uh, of, of of plunder and of property that was taken from the Midianites, you know, gold and precious jewels and all that kind of stuff, and even like silverware. So it starts sounding kind of like you know more like property as opposed to persons. And so that is something that, you know, I think we should be uh, kind of, you know, uh, our antenna should go up that uh, was there uh, kind of some dehumanization, right, going on that we have to kind of think through. Um, and I don't know how, you know, uh, I think there are different views on this, but they became part of the Israelite nation at that point, right? Not of their choice. Um, maybe it's a net positive for them that they get to live and they get to join the people of God. We can talk about that. But then it's also, you know, they have no choice. They are absorbed and they are now eligible for, um, I guess, marriage with the other, the Israelite men. So I think that could be viewed as a, a negative thing, right? An, an unethical thing that, uh, that is happening here. So, uh, and there may be other kind of ways that you can say this and other problems and questions and disturbances that it can be articulated. But as I look at it, those are the, the kind of the, the, the big picture, uh, larger uh, problems that, you know, a passage such as this kind of presents to us, right? Uh, so um, I'd like, uh, you know, we don't have, you know, hours and hours and weeks and weeks to talk about that. And that's what these topics typically kind of require because it, it is so kind of dense and thorny and, and kind of, and all that. So we won't be able to kind of, I don't think, um, you know, treat it as it should. And, and you know, maybe we've, you've already talked about it and thought through it. Uh, so you may not need as much kind of, so, uh, I think in the time that we have, there are going to be people that already thought through it and it's not going to help them. And there are people that 
no matter how much you say, it's really not going to solve the the the, the dilemma that, that they present. So I, I already know that you know it's a challenging kind of uh, undertaking for us. But nonetheless, uh, you know, since this is a text that is presented to us in this way, I feel like, um, you know, difficult as it is, we should try some uh, uh, an effort on it and stuff. So, um, let me begin by just kind of stating some, uh, like, what uh, kind of some preliminary uh, aspects that I think are, are, are helpful, kind of gives us a, a little bit of a, a boundary lines or, or, or parameters. And the first thing that I always like to say is that um, I, I'm, 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 you know, relatively confident when I say that uh, the God of the Old Testament is the same of the, as the God of the New Testament. Now, of course, you know, many readers, many interpreters, many people over the years see it differently. They see that the Jesus of the New Testament is loving and kind and he, you know, uh, he eats with sinners and, and prostitutes, right? And he dies a sacrificial, you know, uh, humbling death in order to save sinners, right? Whereas the God of the Old Testament is more bloodthirsty and is very strict and some argue capricious, arbitrary, right? And that he not only will take his pound of flesh, but much more, right? And so they, they uh, typically, like some people, um, that's the first question that God seems so different, right? But I, my read and maybe your, you would quickly agree or readily agree that you find a lot of love and compassion and patience and restraint by the God of the Old Testament. Right? So, for example, um, you know, um, when you look at Noah, right? Noah, that was a, a, a very, um, it was, you know, the, the end of the world except for eight people, right? The whole world was judged. By it. But if you really look at the story, right, um, um, there's a lot of places there where uh, you get the impression that God is doing all that he can to hold back judgment, right? Um, that he is constantly kind of wrestling or contending, whether directly or indirectly with humanity at that time, trying to get them to see the error of their ways, to warn them of the impending judgment, to kind of shake them out of their sinfulness. Uh, and it's even the ark itself, right? The, the means of Noah's salvation, it took, you know, a, a, a very long time, right? I think, I think 100 plus years to build that huge boat, right? And throughout that time, Right. Um, I think it, we can argue that uh, the people uh, could have inquired, uh, or and, and it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was warning them and telling them. So it wasn't that the, like this sudden, you know, floodwaters came and the people had no chance, and God was just, you know, you know, rubbing his hands in, in pleasure as he saw, you know, all of evil mankind 
uh, being wiped out. No, it was, it says that God's heart was grieved, right? It was pained because, uh, you know, the uh, people were wicked and uh, uh, evil and, uh, you know, they were, they were uh, so far uh, from him. But God did his, or let's say, level best to try to bring them back. And in the end, only eight right, survived. Another example is like the Amorites. The Amorites were uh, a particular uh, people and they were known, I think, historically to be you know, very kind of unjust and, and um, uh, they did some, some very questionable things, simple things uh, and stuff. But it says that uh, God withheld judgment on them until the full measure of the Amorite sin was in place. And in fact, the reason that after God promised Abraham to give him the land of Canaan, right? And to have all these descendants, right? The, the reason that it took 400 years was not only to build up the Israelite numbers, but it was also to give the Amorites a chance. They were given an extra 400 years before God wiped them out. So I don't think those are exceptions. I think the tenor, especially with the Israelites, the tenor of God's patience and holding back. So it's not that God is trigger happy, right? In Ezekiel, it says that I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, right? Not just in the death of good people, but even any kind of death, any kind of this, you know, um, punishment, exact, uh, exacting uh, for, for uh, sin uh, is... Uh, not what God, you know, that's not his, uh, his pleasure, right? He's, his pleasure is that uh, every soul is saved and, and, and salvation comes even in the Old Testament through repentance, by turning to God, by admitting wrong, by crying out to him for mercy and then him granting mercy, right? So the Old Testament, I think, I, I mean, we could, go, like I said, we could do this for days, but uh, for me, I'm, I am comfortable with saying that uh, there's a lot of love and patience and uh, long-suffering kind of interwoven into the Old Testament texts, uh, even while we read that God sanctions, you know, this kind of, you know, genocide or partial genocide. And then on the other side, the New Testament, you know, um, Jesus you know, sometimes his eyes uh, blaze like fire, right? And sometimes he's very, very harsh. And it's not a general harshness. It's actually kind of directed towards a particularly hard-hearted, a particularly stubborn, right? And those that maybe know their sin but won't repent of it, right? True, Jesus is very kind of, uh, there's a lot of message of, of love and of forgiveness, but it's to those who are uh, malleable, those who are teachable, those who are broken, right? those who are uh, repentant, those who need God, who need Jesus. He is, you know, super merciful to them. And the, right, so and and you could say like Jesus talks about heaven and hell a lot. Right? He talks about hell and punishment, and you know, uh, there's some imagery that's very kind of scary, right, in the New Testament. So. Um, all that to say, right, that, um, oh, and, and then, of course, the cross, the cross, let me, let me throw that in, that that is 
that is, uh, you know, the, the worst thing, the worst event of all history, right? That the Holy Son of God was, you know, punished uh, ultimately, right? Eternally, right? For the sins of humanity. Uh, that alone shows us that, yeah, the God of the Old Testament is present in, in, in the New Testament as well. Okay, so I don't know if I was, I belabored this, but I, I kind of, to me, that sets a foundation. Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't allow me to say, well, these were different authors, these were different times. God is, you know, it's this progressive revelation. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of connect to this, which I think um, do not really uh, help us get to the problem. Well, um, the second, kind of, this is the second of, of, and the last kind of like overall thing that I wanna say, and this is kind of an interpretation kind of principle. And that relates to kind of who Israel is, um, what their role is, what the, how God viewed them um, in the Old Testament, right? And that was, uh, Israel was created as a special nation. They were intended to be a theocracy. In other words, God said, I'm going to call these people. I'm going to make them my treasured possession. They're going to be a kingdom of priests. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to be with them. So the, the kind of the special calling and formation and presence of God gave Israel's mission uh, to me some special qualities that are no longer um, let's say, um, assumable or no longer claimable by any nation after them or any nation, um, any political entity, um, any kind of nation, national entity uh, that of today, right? So we have to be very careful in when we look at what God says to the Israelites to do, right? They were... Uh, a nation, and so, you know, it, it involved territory, it required, you know, laws, there was an army, there was fighting, there was, you know, so some of the kind of the, the, the principles that apply to kind of nat nations and, 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 you know, social political groups like this, they, you know, it, it, it you know, God's economy, it, it was necessary for the Israelites. And uh, and so some of the commands that he gives them um, are because they were a nation, right? But again, that national uh, kind of uh, um, the fact that they were a nation, right? Although they were a nation, they were a special one in that um, the way that God works the way that is working for the Israelites is not expressed in what we call nationalism, right? In, in a current nation, kind of politically speaking today, right? Now, uh, you know, we could spend, you know, another study or another many hours talking about Israel, talk about Israel, modern day Israel, we talk about, you know, the Christian nationalism. But the point is, is that no, even like America cannot say, well, we're chosen by God, we're a nation, one nation, indivisible under God, and therefore we have some sort of divine mandate or divine right to 
execute and that kind of stuff, right? To me, that is kind of, you know, apples, apples and oranges, right? Um, the counterpart, right, theologically speaking of Israel is actually the church. Right? Those are the people of God, the ones that he calls his special possession. And he's given the church marching orders, but it is not military, right? It's spiritual military, you could argue that, but it's not national military, physical military. So um, anyway, I don't know if I've talked too much and I, I've, taught, I've just shared what you already kind of accept and agree with, but um, I, I still felt like it would be helpful to kind of start out or kind of establish that. Right. So uh, having done that, let's revisit that que these questions. Um, I'm going to forego talking about, I, I think, you know, if you're on this Bible study, you, um, it makes sense, this kind of, you know, uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, right? So the reason that the uh, Midianite women needed to be uh, punished was because they had committed sin against God, and there was no remedy for forgiveness uh, for them. And so um, this kind of reap what you sow, spiritual cause and effect, the soul who sins dies, the wages of sin is death. Um, I think, you know, um, we, I, I'm not going to spend um, a lot of time right, talking about that, that we, I'm going to assume that we can accept that, um, you know, um, that there is judgment uh, for sins, right? Um, if there is no atonement, if there's no forgiveness, if there's no intermediary that's done in between the uh, liability for sin and the punishment, uh, that's something that um, you know, our, our, our kind of theories of justice, our, our understanding of, like I said, you know, cause and effect um, that we can at least intellectually understand. We might not agree with it, but that's something that we can relate to. So I want to jump in, uh, I guess, at the, what about the innocence? What about the children? Right? What about those who you can't pinpoint a blame or a, 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 a fault or whatever word you want to use, guilt, culpability, culpability. Uh, why did God, through Moses, command that they be wiped out as well? So I, of course, talked a lot today already, but usually I love it when you guys, you know, we have kind of a, an ability to kind of uh, dialogically kind of study this, but I don't think we can do that. But this question, um, I would welcome your your thoughts, your thoughtfulness, right? measured. I don't want to argue. I don't want to debate. I want to try to figure this out if we can somewhat. So uh, how do you guys navigate that? I'm sure people have come to you and says, why is why does God allow genocide? Right? Why does he um, destroy innocent people? How do you uh, navigate that for yourself? How should we navigate the, the example given here?
You know, I think this is always like a really difficult topic to navigate, especially talk discussing with uh, non-believers. Um, uh, just because I think, yeah, like there's the idea of the original sin, and then there's no one who's innocent. Um, and I, but I, I think, I think the, the, I think the difficulty I have with this passage is more in the sense that I think I understood from you know like the story you talked about with the Noah's Ark and stuff like that, where like, and there were there are a lot of um, stories in the, especially the oh, the first five. Uh, books that uh, have a lot of, like conquest and like um, of and killings and stuff like that. And I think what I have problem with is um, or like difficulty trying to understand is why did they keep the young girls alive um, and not the young boys? Like I, I yeah, that I think that's my main question. That's what I. Like I think I've I've read some commentary on that, and it's, they're like, oh, they probably want them to be like servants and stuff like that, because most likely, like, it's not like for sexual reasons, because they most likely are like very young girls, um, because people get married very early during that time period. Um, so, but then at the same time, then I I I still don't understand why it can't be young boys either who can also become servants and things like that. Yeah, uh, that's helpful, Felicia. Um, and, and it's a, a difficult, I'm not sure that there's a, a, a straightforward answer. Right? I, I think that the way that I look at it is that, you know, patriarchy is definitely present here and um, that men and women, boys and girls are treated differently. So even in the Israelite um, um, side, you know, the, the men are, the fighting men, the men capable of war, waging war and battling are counted, you know, in the census. And, uh, you know, maybe women and children are, are, are also accounted for somewhere, but it, it, you know, here and there, but, you know, um, there is kind of like a, I don't know, value judgment <laughs> being placed. And, you know, certainly like we, we talked about it, maybe not enough about like property inheritance that there was no provision made for women to inherit property. Only when these, you know, daughters of Zelophehad kind of spoke up, right? And said, hey, you know, our father died without having any male heirs. We don't think his allotment, his inheritance should go to another tribe or another, you know, family. It should stay with us. And so they had to make a special appeal or a petition or inquiry to God. And God said, that's a good idea. I'm going to, you know, if there's... It, if a, a man dies without any male heirs and they go to his female heirs. And that's better than nothing, but it's still not fair, right? <laughs> Why not go equally to, to men and women? But it doesn't work that way at this point. And unfortunately that you could argue that that has perpetuated the inequality and unfairness uh, to, to women, right? Uh, and, and then there's that passage about, you know, they can keep the property, but they can't marry outside the, the clan because then it would go to a different thing. So they, they're their choices of marriage. You know, still, that's yet another sacrifice. I mean, I, the way we talked about it was that that was kind of a heroic act or, or self-denial sacrifice of the women. And that is kind of, you know, a, a New Testament discipleship principle, but it's still, and why aren't the men required to do that? So I, I think, Belicia, if, if I understand, it, it, the way that I hear your question is, it's not only limited to this, 
you know, context, right, where a, a separation is made, but it applies, you know, uh, in many, many different places. So, you know, to me, that's a, a harder question and, and kind of, you know, I'm not sure I really have, uh, uh, you know, that's another kind of uh, thorny, really difficult thing to, to work through. Um, I think that, you know, why would the girls spared? Uh, I agree with you that, uh, you know, I think the Israelites were not, were they're forbidden to mistreat the prisoners of war. So it's not that they were treating like, them like chattel slavery or uh, were they going to, you know, uh, make them any sort of like, you know, uh, horrible things like sexual slaves. Uh, but I think that they probably would have to serve. Uh, but I think they also, for the purposes of, of marriage that they could be taken as wives. And again, the question is, is that fair? Isn't it better to die than to be forced? And you know, we, we could talk about that. Sometimes people want to talk about that as well. But I think the boys, um, the, the, the assumption would be that the possibility that they take up arms, that they eventually become uh, enemy combatants, right? That that was maybe one of the reasons why um, their deaths were necessitated as opposed to, you know, women fighters. It, it'd be kind of one way to look at that. I don't know if that's a slam dunk. I don't know if that's a, a good answer or not, but that's what I've read. I don't know if, if that just adds to <laughs> more stuff for you to process, I'm sure. Thank you for the question and the, your observation. No, yeah, thank you. I just, yeah, I just think it's weird because it's like this whole thing started with Midianite woman and then like girls become, I don't know. So yeah, that's why I'm <laughs> like understanding this part. I mean, if, if anyone wants to comment, is it better to be part of the, the people that are wiped out because, you know, as a matter of principle, go with your nationality or is there some benefit to, to being spared this way? I don't know if people have a, a, a way to kind of share uh, their thoughts on that. I think it's Moses's ways to get back to his in-laws. Okay, nobody got that. Um, actually, I, I want to just talk about this concept of um, iniquity. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 5, right? You should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, right? And so, I mean, I think, you know, we're, and I'm not going to talk about the boys and girl one. I'm just, I just want to talk about the innocent one, right? And in this case, this is, I mean, you can say this is kind of, um, yes, the, the children perhaps are, you know, innocent, the young boys are innocent, but there is still this concept that there is iniquity or sin that kind of gets passed down. And, you know, the original one we talked to is always, you know, original sin, right? But, uh, you know, even if you think about the firstborn that was killed in Egypt, right? You know, a lot of them probably are like infants, boys that are, you know, haven't committed any wrong themselves. In fact, you can say it's the fathers who oppressed the Israelites and so forth, right? But, you know, they were 
that's the manifestation of judgment for them, right? And uh, and um, um, I, I do think there is something about this, whether we like it or not, you know, even whether we are culpable intentionally or not, we do bear on some level kind of the sins of our parents, right? And grandparents and so forth. And you can probably argue in that particular verse, God specifically said third and fourth. So maybe it gets thinned out a little by the time you get to the third or fourth generation. But like in terms of immediately, you know, there is some, you know, consequence of the sin that gets passed down to us and whether we like it or not. And you can even talk about like illnesses that are genetically that gets passed down to you, right? You know, like, like, you know, why do I have to bear the sicknesses of my parents, right? But that that's just what came down, right? And um, uh, so, you know, it kind of in our kind of modern paradigm where, you know, like you said, you know, everybody, you know, you pay the consequence for your own actions, you know, yeah, that's certainly so. But, you know, the, the framework is still there, right, for this concept that, um, you know, there, there is such a thing as, you know, iniquity, right, this blood that has to be shed for, you know, blood that was shed previously. And if the person that already committed it was dead, then, you know, then the family, in that sense, the guilt falls on them. Again, right, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying we should go with this per se, right, but that's the concept. Yeah, I think that's helpful, Dave. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and, and I think, you know, the consequences of sin, I think that illustrates that really well, that it's not limited to your own self, but that's why God is so, I think, um, he, he, he says so much about it and he warns us again and again that it's not just you doing something and you, it, it kind of limiting the damage, but there could be collateral damage and, you know, to, to you know like you said um it's not only you know um yeah like sicknesses but uh yeah like uh enmity warfare you know a lot of suffering a lot of pain and suffering uh, has been caused by by people not only by parents but by, by governments right so like pharaoh he really destroyed his egyptian nation by you know being so stubborn and hard-hearted against god right and i think that's why you know the plague of the firstborn came it wasn't until all of the egyptian households lost their firstborn that they cried out against pharaoh and said let them go you're destroying us like that kind of thing what i have trouble with david is actually how that exodus 30 passage um how you reconcile that with like the ezekiel passages which says that god doesn't punish people for another person's sin so I can understand the consequences, like somehow I can stomach that. But when I, when a child dies for their great grandfather's sin, I feel like in terms of like kind of again, causation and, and, and strict liability, I feel like that's, you know, there's a problem there. And so I don't have a, a, a solution, a, a kind of a, a either a harmonization or even a reconciliation of it. But to me, I, I, I'm going to, you know, whenever I get, get to my final kind of wrap up i feel like i i need to kind of bring that into uh the the kind of the 
a personal uh, responsibility context, if I can, right? I don't know if I do or if I if it ever can be. Maybe this is just God's sovereign revelation, and you know we just have to you know accept it. But you know while I'm trying to kind of make sense of all of this, you know uh, I feel like I need to try to figure that out. And again, I don't know if I'm successful, but yeah, that's, well, I'm glad you said that. The flip side of this concept is that do we repent for the sins of you know our forefathers, right? And actually, that concept is mentioned, right? Like, you know, Nehemiah, you know, prayed for, you know, the father's forefather's sins, right? You know, Daniel certainly did, right? And I think in Ezra chapter 9, there's another. So that, that's the kind of the flip side concept of, you know, the iniquity, sin that you didn't commit, but it's kind of your family, right? And then the flip side is, yeah, there is this concept where they repent for the sins of their forefathers, right? that especially the exile who are returning from, you know, they didn't commit those things. They didn't arouse God's anger to be exiled into, you know, Babylon and so forth, but they, you know, asked for God's forgiveness for them. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things that I guess, you know, it's there, right. But it's, you know, both sides exist, right. Both. And the other kind of story is, um, what is it? Like King David basically was like, how come I'm having drought or something is happening to the land? And then say, basically there was blood guilt and Saul was extra zealous and attacked a village he wasn't supposed to. And so they said, we want you to give us seven of his male descendants so we can hang them, right? I mean, these guys didn't attack them, right? It's a similar kind of concept that why should the family pay for the sins of their forefathers? Right. Yeah. But, uh, I think corporate responsibility and, and, and kind of like either national or familial or even like relational, um, that's there. But I'm trying to, yeah, I, I'm trying to work that out in my mind with this kind of like blanket, you know, execution. So as it manifests in individual situations and in individual kind of like punishments, like, you know, e even like, let's say, uh, like if I have a, I could talk about disease and illness and, and kind of whatever lifestyle, that kind of stuff. But it, it, I don't know, maybe it's not. But in general, I feel like it's not, it's a little different conversation in my mind with death, right? If, if I'm being punished for sin, I don't know, I, I, I'm still trying to figure, I, I still need to work through why am I being decimated for you know, some forefathers sin as opposed to, you know, let's say, you know, that I, I'm you know, perpetually poor because of my grandfather's sin. Anyway, let, let's, let's, if there's anyone else that wants to um, kind of offer thoughts towards this question that hasn't spoken yet, please do. And then I'll kind of lead us to um, wrap up. <laughs> Um, I guess I was also um, trying to think of it in terms of corporate guilt. Uh, and I mean, I think that it is really hard for us to accept the idea just because our society is like very individualistic, um, you know, sort of at the, at the, at the core. So 
but I mean, could we say, is it too far to go to, to say that um, because of the, you know, the sin of the Midianites and, and God is bringing the judgment on the nation that, that everybody is guilty, right? That they have that guilt because by um, being part of that society uh, that they are guilty. And so like the, yeah, the, the, the point that Belicia raised also kind of stuck in my mind too, like how, how can you resolve that? But I guess what I was thinking was that if you put it in terms of corporate guilt, then the boys died because they have, they share that corporate guilt, whereas the young girls were spared. Um, and if we give some sort of reason that they were spared because they didn't involve themselves in, you know, what the Midianite women did, then I think it kind of falls apart. But if we say that they were spared just out of mercy, then we don't necessarily have to give a reason they were shown mercy, right? Um, so, you know, I was wondering whether um, if that that kind of, I think that <laughs> that maybe resolves it by by refusing to try to answer the question that you're saying is like, how do we bring it back to personal responsibilities? Like, well, there is no personal responsibility. It's a corporate guilt thing. But I mean, I remember sort of, you know, back when all of this, um, you know, the uh, death of George, George Floyd and a lot of people um, thinking about, uh, you know, um, systemic racism and like corporate guilt and stuff. And um, I think there was a Tim Keller video that became sort of popular around that time that he had given a few years earlier, I think. Um, and one of the points he made about corporate guilt was that, um, you know, if there's no corporate guilt, right, because this is the way Paul talks about it, right? Like we're all in Adam, so Adam sinned, we all sinned, right? So um, if there's no corporate guilt like that, then there can be no corporate salvation, right? That one man, uh, Jesus can die for the sins of many. So there has, the, the, I don't know, the, I thought that that kind of helped me somewhat in, you know, if we, if we have to kind of uh, maybe let go of the sort of purely individual aspect of it somehow. And if we hold on to it too tightly, then we also sort of deprive ourselves of the, you know, the means of being safe from sin, I guess. So anyway, there's just some thoughts. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I got to think through that corporate sin versus corporate salvation um, kind of, you know, let's say package deal, if we want to say, it, if I want to say it that way. Um, I mean, I feel like the uh, kind of, you know, being part of, of a society by virtue of um, I don't know, just by, just by, you know, being born in, into that nation. Um, again, like, let's say that there's, there were adult females who didn't participate in the sin, but, you know, um, they were executed, right? Somehow I feel like adult females, let's say that I, I maybe make an argument that they, you know, contributed to the ethos, to the values of the group, to the practices of the Midianites. And so, maybe maybe not directly but indirectly like we could say that but again that the children you know all of the children i feel like that that's kind of where i get a little bit stuck and stuff so i'm gonna give alice the last word since she 
showed her uh, her visage to us. So give us some quick thoughts and then I'm gonna, uh, at, you know, we can definitely talk about this more afterwards, but I, please give me, I need to have, I wanted to kind of, you know, lead us not only from this, but, you know, kind of, I think the, bueno. Um, I was, I, I, I've been like processing what I think everyone has been sharing, but I think just as a, as a woman in 2021, um, in America, you know, I find this passage very disturbing. Um, I think personally, I think it's worse that they left the young girls alive. I know that, you know, you could argue that they're, they're not going to be mistreated, but essentially they're, you know, being spared just, it is kind of a sexual thing because if they're going to eventually, you know, be brought up as like wives for the Israelite men. But um, to me, as I kind of read through this and like listen to what everyone's sharing, I almost feel like I can't, I, I don't think that I mean, and this is also with other passages in the Bible, specifically with the Old Testament, but um, I personally feel like for me, this is one of those passages that I'm not going to be able to process or explain or kind of explain away or be able to come to some sort of intellectual agreement of defense, because again, I find it you know, when you read it at face value, I, I still find it very disturbing. So kind of what Peter was saying, like, I almost need to like step back and um, I don't want to say this to be controversial, but it's like, maybe there are some passages in the Bible for me that I will not be able to really understand. And um, that doesn't mean that I don't believe in God. Um, because I do believe he is the same God of the Old Testament versus New Testament. But yeah, I just, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to like process it in environments like this and everything. But um, I, I don't feel like personally, I can really look at this other than almost like a historical situation um, with the given like culture and patriarchy of that time. And maybe just say, you know, this is what God had decided, you know, like his sovereign decision. I don't understand why, but I mean, maybe it was a population control thing, you know, like, I don't, I know we're going about like, why did he kill the boys and spare the, the girls? Like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe, you know, it was for population reasons or something, but um yeah, so it doesn't really give any sort of explanation or anything, but that's just my like gut reaction to how I'm I'm personally processing this. So it's not to say that we shouldn't try to find um, personal application and how we can learn from these passages, but um, I mean, just I myself cannot really relate to almost all of this passage other than kind of what Peter was sharing of if we were kind of understand and David too, about like the generational, you know, sin and like corporate guilt and everything. But yeah. Like Alice, I think, um, you know, that, that is, 
sometimes where we have to land. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure I'm at that passage. I'm, I'm there with this passage, but there are a number of places where I just, you know, feel like I got to just pray more or think more or, or whatnot. So, um, and, and, and I don't think that, you know, you can be like persuaded into understanding or kind of even accepting what's going on here. I think uh, what this does is it kind of forces us to maybe delineate or clarify in our own minds, you know, what, where, where, how do we connect things? Where do we stand on certain things and stuff? So that, that's the exercise. That was the intent of our study as opposed to you have to agree with Peter or with Belisa or, or who the pastor and stuff. So uh, I've shared this before, so this, this might not be new to some of you, but when, when I come to passages that regard, that, that deal with like mass killing or execution or genocide or whatever that kind of stuff, I always have to kind of funnel out to the idea of life and death in general. Like to me, um, the one thing that I think um, I have to kind of start at is that God is the Lord of life and death. And I think birth and death, right? We, we, we get that with birth. I feel like, you know, we are kind of, we understand that God is creator and that he is the one who, you know, has uh, allowed, um, um, you know, the human race to, to, to not only uh, uh, be born, but to, you know, multiply and be prolific and, and that kind of stuff. And, but he's all, and we understand that God is, um, you know, Lord over death too, but what I think uh, in my kind of sensibilities is that, so if someone, if someone dies at age 90 after living a, a full life, I feel like, okay, God, God, you didn't shortchange them, you're fair. But if God takes a life at two years old or three years old or, or whatever, right? When a person hasn't had a chance to enjoy life's thing, I immediately think that it's unfair, right? And I've had to kind of wrestle with, well, when is that true? When is that not true? And, and the conclusion that I've drawn, at least for myself, at this point in my kind of whatever, my inquiry journey is that if we're, if life on earth is pretty much the end all be all, then I think I have an argument that if you allow somebody to live 90 years versus nine days, you know, uh, if God is in control of that, he's the one that decides, he's the one that pushes the button, he's the one that, uh, you know, makes a decision that I think I have an argument for unfairness. But if there is eternity involved, if there is kind of a, 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 a much, you know, as we understand, as we should, that God is, you know, uh, also Lord over time, that he sees into eternity, he not only sees life on earth, but he sees life beyond earth, you know, whatever, eternal life or eternal death, what, 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 eternal kind of suffering, whatever, you know, however we look at it, then I come to like, be able to handle a little bit more that what happens on earth is really not as determinative or or kind of like um, that it 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 controls uh you know everything uh that so so if you have a bad life on earth that doesn't mean that god is being unfair to you if you have a good life on earth you know relatively speaking worldly speaking that doesn't mean that god is being you know good to you <laughs> Right, that it, you really have to look at it in, in view of eternity, right? So the way that I translate that into this particular context is that um, in the way that I kind of sneak in, you know, personal responsibility is that, you know, God knows, right, with this foreknowledge, how these uh, people are going to act, right? What they're going to do, that if there's a chance that they, you know, could be redeemed, 
he's going to redeem them. Maybe it's by letting them live and become Israelites, okay, or maybe it's through some other means, or he has some other standard for them, but, or even by killing them, right, if God's going to take the ones that died on earth and, and somehow redeem them in his own way, you know, I'm going to trust that the death of an innocent so-called is not uh, God being either arbitrary or God being evil or God being unfair, right, that uh, because he can, uh, he controls uh, birth, life, and eternity. That uh, what happens, uh, even uh, that what happens is, is I can still somehow see it as part of his good and sovereign plan, uh, and not just kind of like, oh man, this is just totally you know terrible, and like irretrievably terrible. Uh, for these, you know, uh, innocent bo Midianite uh, boys that uh, if there is a chance that they actually could turn out to be good, right, on earth, or be part of God's, you know, overall plan, then he would make that happen. But the fact that he didn't make it happen, I'm going to have to trust that, you know, he's going to make, you know, that in the end that he will be just. Okay. So I don't know if that helps. Uh, but I'm just kind of you know, bearing my soul and telling you guys that's how I kind of try to work through some of the Ezekiel passages and maybe even slightly what David was talking about Exodus and and uh, uh, and, and all that. So again, uh, it's not um, yeah, it's certainly uh, it, it's, it's it's very wobbly, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, it's. It's, it's worthwhile for uh, each of us to kind of um, you know, do our best to um, you know, think about, you know, the God I know, the God that's revealed in the Bible, and, you know, um, you know take these passages as we can, and seriously as we can. Right? Okay, so that's kind of, you know, maybe our foray into trying to understand this. What I want to close with, though, is uh, what I started with, which was Kind of the the, the gravity uh, of harm that you know, sin can cause, whether it's personal or corporate, or you know, in terms of punishment, in terms of suffering, in terms of causing people like us to you know <laughs> doubt God, uh, you know, thousands of years later. Um, the fact is, is that you know, there's a reason why God um, said. You know, uh, don't stray from me. Don't disobey me. Don't uh, don't follow your own uh, inclinations. Don't trust yourself. Don't be the god of your own life, okay? because bad things happen. And 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 we see that, right? The Midianites, even the Israelites, and in each of our lives, right? There's no doubt in my mind that sin wreaks havoc. Sin causes damage for us. And what this story kind of accentuates for me is that um, the damage is, is actually, you know, it could be fatal, it could be devastating, it could be, you know, catastrophic. And I think it's God's grace that, you know, not, it doesn't, you know, manifest like that every time we sin, every time, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're found to have, you know, rebelled against God, disregarded his commands, or that we have refused to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Right now, that, that's going to be true 
at least once for everybody, right? Uh, on the day of our earthly death, right? Somehow, you know, we're gonna have to answer and uh, it'll be catastrophic, right? If, if we are assigned to eternal death, that is as calamitous as we, when we look at a passage like this, we think that's what happened to the Midianites, right? So what, what I kind of what I want to emphasize today is sin is this bad and, uh, you know, this kind of picture of, you know, extermination and, and death is actually kind of, there's a, you know, a, a, a straight, uh, a straight line to that, a direct beeline between this and this. Except, like I said, when, you know, again, through the grace of God, through the mercy of God, he intervenes and he makes a way to break that, you know, inexorable connection, right? That nothing else can break that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do or read or say or study or espouse or, 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 or kind of do, uh, this is an unbreakable, you know, uh, a, a chain, right? Uh, between our sin and rebellion and calamitous results, right? It's only when, you know, uh, God, uh, uh, intervenes uh, in, 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 a, in, in, in his way can, can this be uh, can be, this be arrested right and God does that in pockets like for the Israelites he did that you know, big time many times he he brought in deliverers and judges and, and, and he, he brought he sovereignly helped them right and, and they were for a time they were good but you know even then kind of somehow that chain got re, reattached and the Israelites uh, and us, you know, we're headed that way. And so that's why the cross came in and really broke that chain permanently, right? So what I want to, you know, just leave us with tonight, thank you for staying on for um, extended time, is to uh, once again marvel and um, embrace and just meditate on and cling to the cross of Jesus that he has made a way for us to escape permanently um, and completely the consequences, the calamitous consequences of our sin, right? That even for the Midianites, if Jesus's remedy was available, they too, right, could have repented and been, you know, uh, completely forgiven, that they could be redeemed for eternity instead of condemned for eternity because of what Jesus had done. So the, the tremendousness, is that a word? <laughs> the, the, the power, the beauty, the, even the glory of what Jesus has done for us, that is not to be underestimated. That is not to be taken lightly. That is not to be you know, forgotten, trampled upon, um, dismissed, ignored, abused, right? It's, it's uh, you know, God's perfect solution to this question that, you know, we can't answer, right? And it's not only the questions that we can't answer, but the situation, um, the law that um, could not be broken, right? Jesus broke it uh, in, in the sense of he paid the penalty for our sins. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, when we struggle with sin when we are we fear death and punishment 
the answer is clear from God. Come to the cross, right? Come to the cross. It's big enough. It's great enough. It's uh, true enough uh, to to really, 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 right? Uh, lead to. Um, uh, it's more than avoidance. It it, it it helps us to transcend, right? The eternal consequences of what we've done. Right? But we have to go to the cross, whether it's our first uh, love, whether it's our the first moment when we confess our sins and, and proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior in faith, or it's, you know, in our Christian life as we fall, as we falter, um, as we stray, as we uh, break God's heart, right? Um, what I want us to, to, to see is that the, the, the cross shining so brightly, so uh, beckoningly, right? So uh, clearly to us, so persuasively, right? That's the persuasion we need. That the cross is, you know, the remedy and the solution. So yeah, just as this, I think, passage, as, you know, as, as um, I think Alice put it, this is so disturbing, right? The cross actually can, can be, I think, uh, all the more enlightening, right? All the more uplifting, right? Um, that's where, you know, we, we've tried, you know, numerous, numerous ones of us have commented, we've, we've offered thoughts, we've looked at passages, you know, we can kind of like dance around and try to figure it out, but we probably can't, right? But what we know for sure, what is super clear from God is that, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish like the Midianites or any of the other sinners that we are, but will have eternal life, right? Eternal forgiveness. Okay. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for uh, just the brothers and sisters that have come on to read, hear each other, share, ponder, um, struggle with uh, this hard passage. And uh, I thank you that uh, you've helped us to, I think, um, yeah, work with it. Uh, maybe not um, walk away necessarily uh, smarter or or, or more satisfied, but um, I hope that we walked away uh, impressed and touched and moved once again by the cross of Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us to um, our constant um, struggle, but you made a way and you made a gracious way. Uh, uh, sin and repentance is never easy to deal with, but um, it, it sure beats <laughs> trying to make it to salvation on our own. So I pray that each and every one of us will realize that without you, we are these Midianites. At best, we're the Israelites, you know, aren't much to speak of, morally speaking. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be um, truly, uh, you know, we can 
we can experience victory uh, in Christ. Um, Lord, uh, help us to uh, just uh, stay close to the cross, draw near to you uh, in prayer and word and fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.